1: When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller-Karis.
2: This is Elaine Miller-Karis from Resiliency Within, and today I have as my guest Dr. Michael Sapp from the Trauma Resource Institute. He was uh, with me on the 13th when we talked about how to respond to disasters. And today, we're going to talk a little bit um, about the reflections of the last year of the Trauma Resource Institute. Um, Dr. Sapp is the Chief Executive Officer of the Trauma Resource Institute and the sponsor of Resiliency Within. So, I just happen to be the co-founder of the Trauma Resource Institute. So, Mike and I have had many discussions over the years about many different things. and Today, we're going to share with you some of the innovative ideas of how to heal trauma and cultivate well-being which really leads to compassionate and empathic perspectives, not only um, emanating from children, but adults as well. And we're going to discuss the global reach of the Trauma Resource Institute and how our workshops have been delivered to diverse groups, including the Navajo Nation, the University of Calgary, Harvard University, Wake County Schools, the Centers for Disease Control, Covenant House, which is a um, major provider for people who are unhoused in the world, just to mention a few. And some of you may be thinking, oh my goodness, there's a lot of diversity in the in the workshops that you do for so many different groups. And hopefully we'll share a little bit about why we have been um, attracted to many different um organizations around the world and they've been attracted to us and we're going to share some of our reflections from 2021 and the hopes for the future of dealing with the mental health um, challenges facing our planet. So I want to say just a little bit more that the Trauma Resource Institute, which I'll refer to as TRI, it's a 5013C nonprofit organization. And um, what we say about it, it cultivates, um, trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide, which simply means that we understand that trauma impacts human beings on every possible level, how we think, how we feel, how we behave. It can even affect our spirituality. Of course, it also affects our emotions. Um, but resiliency-focused means we have also learned that when we focus um, on the strengths of human beings worldwide, that we have an amazing capacity to um, to be able to heal from the traumas that we experience. So, there's two um, models that um, come from the Trauma Resource Institute, the trauma resiliency model and the community resiliency model, which we've developed to educate individuals about their nervous system, really about the biology of the human nervous system, and to teach easy to learn wellness skills that we've talked a lot about during this last year that the show has been on, and that these skills can be used for self care, and it also can be, um, they can also be taught to others very simply once you learn the skills, and we even have an app called I Chill that's free. Um, that you can download from an app store, that you can um, listen to the skills and practice them. And we've actually can, we're very happy to say that there's good research that shows that it actually reduces um, uh, secondary traumatic stress and also can reduce some of the symptoms of depression and anxiety. So, the more you pay attention to your well-being, we've learned the more it grows. But I want to say a few more things about Dr. Sapp. Well, he's a licensed clinical psychologist, as well as being the CEO of the Trauma Resource Institute. But he received his master's in general psychology and his PhD in clinical psychology from the New School University in New York, New York. And I have to say, having gone to New York with Mike a number of times, he knows all the good restaurants and a really great cookie store. I just had to add that, Mike. <laughs> I know that's not <laughs> you know, usually part so, of your CV, but I had to add that. Listen, it's the
3: important stuff. <laughs> yes, it's, it's the, the important, important stuff.
2: stuff yes. <laughs> so, he's actually worked with Tri since 2010. Ten, he started out by just participating in our trainings, and then he became a senior trainer. And he then started working with us as the associate executive director. And I'm very happy to say that when I was ready to give over the reins, he uh, took over as CEO in 2020. So he's also gone to many places with me and without me, bringing this um, our models forward. And that has been to the Philippines, Nepal, and Northern Ireland, just to name a few of the international um, places he's gone. But he's also been in many parts of the country. Now, he also co-authored a chapter of um, the book uh, that I wrote, Building Resilience to Trauma, the Trauma and Community Resiliency Models. And he wrote a beautiful chapter called The Nervous System, Memory, and Trauma. And he tends to be kind of a neuroscience geek. Can I say that about you, Mike? I think you'd accept that.
3: That, that would be like saying, I'm tall. It's just a a fact. (laughs) Yes.
2: And I I know that you wanted to say a few things about me this time. So I was going to say, (laughs) I I, I don't usually talk about myself on the show. So go right ahead. Say whatever you want.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, besides uh, being willing to go to many restaurants and cookie places (laughs) in New York. Right. Um, You know, I think it is important. I know. Some of your listeners may not know all of this. Of course, if they've done some Google searches, they probably have found out some of this. But um, but for those of you who don't know, Elaine miller karras is a licensed clinical psycho- uh, social worker. Sorry, licensed clinical social worker. Yeah,
2: make sure you give me that social work degree. Yes.
3: Right? <laughs> yes. Let's let's not brand you a yes. psychologist. Come no,
2: on. no. No. That's that's, um, that's your hat, my friend. Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's my burden to bear, huh? Yeah. Um, but she's also an author, as as you already mentioned, your book uh, that I helped co-write a chapter in. Uh, of course, you're a radio show host, social worker, trauma therapist. You already mentioned being the co-founder and former uh, exec- executive director, current director of innovation uh, at the Trauma Resource Institute, and of course, the key developer of the community and trauma resiliency models, the two models that you just described. Uh, and then... Uh, and then also, Elaine, for those of you who don't know, is a recognized international speaker, has presented at the Skoll World Forum uh, in Oxford University, which I was able to attend one of those uh, two, two times with you uh, to, to hear you present. And uh, also presented in the Resiliency 2021 online uh, conference, as well as uh, for projects uh, associated with the United Nations. So uh, on, a, on a side note, Related to the United Nations, Elaine's book was selected by uh, the UN and Taylor and Francis Curated Online Library as one of the innovations helping meet the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, she is also a senior consultant to Emory University's Sea Learning Program, which was a uh, program inspired and launched by His Holiness the Dalai Lama in 2019. And fun fact when it was inaugurated, my understanding is you actually got to sit and have lunch. With the Dalai Lama,
2: I did. It was the greatest honor of my life, actually. Yes, to do that. Um, So, thank you. I mean,
3: imagined. Would you have ever imagined?
2: (laughs) I never would have imagined that. And so, I mean, that's why I'm so excited today to share with our listeners a little bit about our journey. And it certainly has been a tumultuous, wondrous, amazing journey. As you know, um, we had an idea way back in the 2000s about how could we bring a biological model forth that might impact a lot of people? Did I ever imagine that it would be in like, I think it's 74 countries or something right now? No, I never imagined that. And that's why I really wanted to say anybody who's listening that has an idea, if it's a good idea, develop it because you never know how it's going to impact people. But I know that you, Mike, you you and I are very dedicated to um, mind-body health. And we talk about that when we talk about um, bringing these models forward. And I just want to kind of turn it over to you for a little bit and just kind of get your reflections about why you think this is important at this time in our history, with everything going on in the planet right now—from Omicron to um, you know the uh, the awful tornadoes that happened in Kentucky, the the genocides that are happening, the you know just war. I mean, there's just a, a lot happening in the world that is affecting children, teens, adults. So, some of your reflections.
3: Sure. I think two of the, the words that you had mentioned earlier in your description of the, of the Trauma Resource Institute, why I think I have found, there's many reasons why I think I have found my way here and why I think this is so important and the work that we do is so important is uh, the trauma-informed and resiliency-informed. Uh, I think there is something to be said about how important it is to know how trauma, how stressful events, how uh, challenges, challenges and adversity affects us. What are the effects on us? What, how does it influence our nervous system? And we know, we know that it influences our nervous system in very specific ways. And then that influence then has um, uh, outcomes behaviorally. Uh, cognitively in our thinking, uh, spiritually among others. And we know that. So we know that trauma influences us in that way and can have an impact on our lives. That is a well-known, well-documented fact. But if we just stopped there, that would be helpful. It would be helpful to know, and it is helpful to know how trauma influences and affects our nervous system. But if we just stop there, I feel like that's just half the battle. That's just half the equation. Um, for me the natural next question is now what and so the now what for me is the resiliency informed how does how is our nervous system how is our body how is our our brain our spirituality designed to help us engage those challenges move through those challenges um and so resiliency for me is a a big topic but it's one that often doesn't get talked about in, in talks about trauma-informed care, we want trauma-informed care, but we also want to pull in the other stuff. How, what, what are our strengths? How, what helps us get through? And I think what I've seen over my life, especially so in the last two-plus years, is wave after wave after wave of indicators of suffering and distress whether it's oppression that we're seeing, whether it is climate change events, whether it is um, uh, pandemic, uh, it, uh, wave after wave of suffering. And and that's the trauma-informed aspect of, okay, we know that's there. We're not going to deny it. We don't want to bury our head in the sand about it. What can we do then? And the other piece is what else is also true for me is what are the things that we do to help each other? What are the things we do to help alleviate that suffering?
2: Well, and Mike, I'm going to ask you something personal because I know that you've been through a very difficult few weeks that one of your best friends, your next door neighbor, sadly died from COVID. He was about your same age. You You raised your kids together. You still have a a sophomore in, in, in high school and a senior. And I and I believe that Don had a senior in high school as well.
3: A junior in high school.
2: A junior in high school. So, so I'm yeah. just wondering, knowing that you've also been a support to the family and been there to hold space with them um, and your own family. I'm just wondering, just kind of using those the concepts sure. that you just talked about. So what has helped you get through these last few weeks, knowing that it's been a very difficult time?
3: I think... Um, I think a number of things has helped me get through. And I think when, I, when it really boils down to, for me, I know uh, I, my, my faith, my family, um, my family has been huge uh, to be able to observe how my family has interacted with their family and help support their family in their loss. Yes, it is a huge loss for us, huge loss for us. But we also recognize if it's a huge loss for us, it's exponentially yes. worse for them. Right, um, and so to see how my wife has cared for uh, our next door neighbor and uh, and and his wife and in and, and her loss, how we've tried to care for and provide support for their kids. He has uh, he had three kids that have survived him. Uh, one is, a, I believe, a senior in college. One a freshman sophomore in college and uh, the others, the junior in, in high school, and to, to see how my sons have reached out. Um, they, you know, uh, uh, someone had coordinated a GoFundMe page for, to help with costs uh, and support of their, uh, the, the the memorial services and funeral services and um, among other things. And it was, it was just cool to see, without us even asking, my, my 17-year-old contribute $20 to that
1: out mm-hmm. of his
3: own money. And I just go...
2: Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, no knowing you, of course, your sons are going to do that, Mike. So, and so, you know, yeah. I know you, you shared something to me, too, because I didn't know Don, and you shared with me his humor. I don't know. And when you would tell me about it, I know that there were tears, times, and, and we acknowledge and embrace those Absolutely. tears in the models that we bring forward. But we also talk about what was true about Don in his I life. Right. So, can you just say a couple things about him?
3: No, I appreciate that because I think that that's the piece that before I knew these models, before I, you know, of course, I would sit with someone in their grief and, and, it, and myself, I would sit with my grief. I wouldn't shy away from it necessarily, but I also would find times of, well, what do I ask people? What can I say to people? I don't, I want to be present with them, but you know, what kind of questions can I ask? Because I don't want that person to be the elephant in the room that no one talks about either. And so the question for me is, you know, what are some of the, the memories you have with this person? And that, that question I often will ask myself. And so I know that we've talked about that, you know, and, um, and just little, little things like that have been so powerful in this in this grief to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to be sad. I'm going to grieve. But part of the grief is also being able to experience the memory and, the, and remember and, and, and sit with the joy that I also had with this person. And I don't want to forget that. I don't want that to get overshadowed. So one little example that I often go back to is, you know, oftentimes the, my neighbor was such a fix-it person. He knew how to fix everything. And if he didn't know how to do it, he would learn how to do it. And
2: so... And Mike, every, and you are not a fix-it person, I understand. I'm, not not <laughs> Are you as getting much. better? Not okay. as much. Don taught you a lot. Okay. <laughs> Don, Don Which I think you're getting, you're going to remember that. Yes. <laughs> yes so you're right.
3: you're so as that. every time I would do something or I'd have to, you know, something needed repair, I would have my wife sitting over my shoulder going, well, are you sure you don't want to just call Don? Just, just check in with Don, see what he thinks. Right? I'm like, no, no, I think I got it. Are you sure? And then sure enough, I'd look back and here she is on the text, right? Texting Don. Hey, Don, this is what's going on. <laughs> so no matter
2: what you said, she was going to text him didn't anyway. It
3: didn't matter. Don was going to be uh, asked,
2: you're, right? And so I imagine that you're going to be thinking about Don every time you have to fix something Uh-oh. else and Absolutely. think about what he might say. Absolutely. But, you know, as you're yeah. telling us about this, I think that's exactly what, what we have learned. And you and I have been to some very sad places on the planet yeah. after huge, massive destructions and death. And we have seen that same capacity that when we – um have space to to hold the sadness, and then ask those kind of very simple questions. Well, can you tell me about your mom, your dad, whoever it was? Mm-hmm. Um, and people will tell us the most wonderful stories, oftentimes with tears in their eyes, and they'll even say, "But the tears feel differently from the sadness when I talk about them, because almost gratitude tears, yeah. um, because I'm remembering." Why they're so beloved to me, and why the grief is also with me. So I think that both can be true. And for those of you that are suffering, I think, and listening to this broadcast right now, you know, I really encourage you to to think about that. Um, What are some of the memories? What might have that person said to you if you were suffering or sad, or if they knew you were grieving for them? Would there have been a message of them saying? come on, get out of it, let's go for a walk, or whatever it might be, that they might say to you to kind of inspire you to do something in remembering them and acknowledging the grief, but also kind of the purpose they they uh, held in this life and for you. I think that can be something really helpful right now, because we know that the holidays is not an easy time. So, anyway, I'm, I'm seeing this. Is there something more you want to say about that, um, Mike?
3: No, I think I think adding to your point, I think it's being able to acknowledge both, I just like being able to acknowledge both and be able to say, yes, I'm going to be sad. I miss them. That, that makes me terribly sad when I really focus in on that. And I'm going to be sad about that. And that's okay. I don't shy away from that, but I also have the the option to spend time dwelling on these other pieces and, and then being able to have conversations with, you know, with his son. And when I get to have conversation with his son and, and talk about, you know, what are the things that, you know, what are some of the things that you used to like to do with your dad? What are some of the things you remember about your dad? To be able to have those questions, to be able to ask and converse with him about that and, and, and allow us to, to share in those moments as well. To me, it's just about so many, I have so many other opportunities and other options than just the trauma form, just yeah. the, the, the sadness and the grief. That is an option and I'm going to exercise that option, but I also have other options along the way.
2: Along yeah, and, you know, and I think it's so important if people are listening that you know we both have met so many people along our journey that have said, well, no one talked to me about him after he died or heard right. about or they after they died. And it just like the sorrow just welled and welled to where the dam burst, I couldn't hold it any longer. And I became very depressed or even suicidal or like, I don't know if I want to live anymore. So we really want everyone to hear that if you have lost someone and you're suffering, please try to talk to someone. You know, reach out to a good friend, someone who can be there and listen. Sometimes it's you know finding a therapist in your community, and you certainly can contact the Trauma Resource Institute. We have a list of therapists that we can um, refer you to. But for many people, they've told me I started listening to the to the iChill app and practicing the skills. And when I practiced the skills, and the more I paid attention to it, and inside of me, my sensations of well-being the stronger that I got to hold my grief and also the kind of the windstorms that happened to us all in life. So, um, haven't we heard that a lot? I don't know if there's any particular oh, yeah. story that's coming to mind from you of all the travels that we've had and the different places where we've been.
3: You know, it, it's interesting. I don't know why this one popped in, but it, it popped in. You know, I think, why I think these skills are so important is that they are so accessible and they're so easy to learn and easy to share. Um, so I remember uh, I, w- I went over a year after, I think, your initial training in Nepal after the earthquake. I believe it was in, oh, don't quote me on the year.
2: Uh, don't quote me either. But it was 2016, I believe. 2016, I, mean, I think yeah, you're right. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, so I think I went a year later in, 20, I think, 2017 and um, did a follow-up with the people that you helped train. And I remember talking with one person in, in particular where they said that uh, a native uh, Nepalese, uh, and she talked about having learned these skills to help her and how helpful it was for her to help regulate her nervous system and feel like she could um, experience uh, joy again, even amongst all the loss that she experienced. And uh, she had in her work, what, I forget what capacity she worked in, she came across um, someone talking about one of the UN workers that had traveled to Nepal to help provide relief work. She had heard that that particular person was suffering because the devastation was so great and the suffering was so great that, that this person that traveled there to help became very depressed, so much so that they were then going to be scheduled to go back to their country of origin earlier than they intended to because they they just were having a hard time coping. This person that that you helped train from Nepal found this out, got in touch with that UN worker, spent, I think, uh, an hour or two with the UN worker telling this UN worker about the skills and teaching them how to use the skills. That UN worker started using the skills ended up reporting significant improvement, so much so that he he ended up not ending the sh- uh, the, his tour of duty uh, sooner and stayed the whole time and helped. And I thought, how remarkable is that, that yeah. someone comes from out of country to help the relief, which we hear often. The relief workers were human. And that kind of suffering does affect people that go into other places to help provide relief. Are themselves getting relief from the person in country that yeah. you know that were directly affected, and I just think, oh, that that sharing of the skill, that sharing of support, um, and alleviation of suffering, regardless of who it is, that's that's uh, that's why I get so passionate about the
2: work. Yeah, and I want to remind our listeners too. Um, that on December 13th, you were on my show. We did kind of part one of this this series um, and we talked about the skills and led you through some discussions of the skills. So, those of you that want to hear us both talking about the skills and learning the first two skills, you can do that by listening to our December 13th podcast of, of Voice America. And so, You know, Mike, that's a a perfect segue because one of the things we wanted to do, um, we wanted to do some reflections and also let people know a little bit about what we do in the world um, and who we, I, I mentioned some of the people that have come to us and that we do workshops for, but we wanted to reflect a little bit on 2021, and I think that we thought that when January rolled around that, oh, it's going to be an easier year. <laughs> I don't think that's proven to the case.
3: <laughs> well, and, I, and and to that point, I remember seeing a meme early on in the year that said something to the effect of, uh, I just completed my 14-day free trial of the year 2021, and I would like to get my money back.
2: <laughs> I think that's perfect. <laughs> because, I mean, it's been, it has been a roller coaster ride. There have been some amazing moments And there have also been suffering. You know, we also lost our our dear Loveland Santos. That was one of the people that worked with us from, from COVID back in January of 2021. Um, but We want to talk a little bit more about some of the reflections, some of the things that I guess the what else is true. So, when we come back from our break, we're going to do a, like a deeper dive into some of the, the ways that I think that we've impacted the world in a very positive way. Um, and we also want to share, there's three more skills that we haven't had a chance to share with the audience. And we're going to try to get those skills in so that as you have to go, let's as you go to a Christmas dinner or New Year's, or maybe you're with family members at can pose a challenge, which can happen to all of us. Or maybe you're just even considering, should I go to the holiday celebration now that we have Omicron more present? And I know Delta is as well. And I know just even in LA County, my daughter was telling me this morning that there's been, you know, it's like it's doubled overnight in terms of the amount of people exposed. So, I know that people have a concern, a worry, and We want to give you some additional skills that you can learn from both of us. So, I think we're pretty experienced in sharing the skills now, Mike. And I also want, I hope that you all have seen too, we use these skills for ourselves. We teach these skills around the world. But we, as I think we often say, right, we put that oxygen mask on ourselves first. And I think especially those of you that are working in front lines with your nurse, working as a first responder, I think people are getting pretty burnt so that if you can cultivate these skills, there's research that shows that there's actually statistically significant reductions in traumatic stress symptoms. So we're going to teach you some more skills after the break, and we're going to talk a little bit about more reflections from 2021 and things that we've learned at the Trauma Resource Institute as we brought these skills um, to many parts of the globe. So we'll be back in just a few
0: moments. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma informed and resiliency focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information.
4: Elaine Miller-Karis' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at resiliencywithin.com.
1: These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit
4: Elaine Miller Karras co founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope.
2: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Michael Sapp, the CEO of the Trauma Resource Institute, and we are having a discussion on some of the reflections from 2021 um, that we both share. And many of you know that I'm the co-founder of the Trauma Resource Institute, as we talked about earlier. So, as we continue, Mike, and some of the reflections of this last year... Talking about kind of been the roller coaster, right? I think I mentioned before the break. Is anything coming to mind that you want to share? Because I know we've done a lot of surprising work um, during this last um, during this last year in the Trauma Resource Institute.
3: Boy, um, we've done a lot. You know, I think that's um, we've done a lot of work with uh, domestic. Uh, partners and and doing work uh, in our own backyard with uh, Los Angeles Department of Mental Health, um, among others, and um, and I think about those projects. I think about uh, the, the the fascinating thing to me is as as the pandemic happened, as we had to go into quarantine way back in 2020 uh, to make the transition from mostly in person gatherings to online. Uh, what that did is it enabled us. To provide trainings and and enabled access to our trainings for people that would normally not have been able to take our trainings because of travel costs and you name it. So what's been fascinating to me is not only the increase in demand for the the skills and wanting to to learn the skills and how to teach the skills that others that we're getting, but but how many people are are joining our our trainings from places in the world that. We would have not have maybe even had access to, uh, you know, or or it's been it would have been too cost prohibitive to build. I do
2: know. I think now. one of the people that we just did we have a something we do every month for um, our community resiliency model teachers from around the world and we have a lovely person from Senegal. Her name is An- Anamata. I think yep. I'm saying Anamana. that right. Yes. Yes. Yep. And here she comes on the call and she shares and uh, and we have people that are from our backyard in Los Angeles and we have people from Australia and Lebanon and so many different, Northern Ireland, so many people from different parts of the globe that come in. That, and they all share a similar story, don't they? Yep. That they say, oh, well, learning about the nervous system has changed my life. And I now teach a lot of people these skills and it's changing lives. And so when we talk about kind of global mental health challenges, I think that what we're seeing and what the research is bearing out is that the work we're doing is really impacting Mm -hmm. the mind-body mental health well-being of individuals. And I think that's why so many people have been coming to us and we've been expanding staff and yeah. and um, realizing we just met with our uh, one of our board members to do a, our strategic five-year plan and saying, okay, we're ready for people that are coming forward, you know, yeah. coming forward. But it has been humbling, hasn't it? Seeing yeah. people who said, well, I always wanted to take your training, but there's no way I could have traveled to the United right. States. Right. And here they're, t- they're taking the training right now.
3: Well, and, and then also reflecting back on even prior to this year, uh, and even prior to the pandemic, seeing certain sectors that we've worked with over the years, you know, uh, I'm thinking of how many trains we've done. We did prior, well before the pandemic uh, for different school systems. You uh, alluded to Wake County public school systems in, uh, in North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina. And, um, and we've been working with them since I think 2017 was our first training for them, you know, and, and other school districts. We've also worked with many hospital systems and nurses. We've worked with, uh, with, with, uh, law enforcement, especially those up in Washington State, and I think of those three categories in particular because when we come coming now, reflecting back onto this last year, especially, what are what communities are being so uh, hard hit? You know, I'm I'm seeing story after story about teachers just suffering. And uh, and maybe even leaving the profession because it has been so challenging for them. Same with frontline workers. And the
2: nurses, we've heard that from the nursing profession right. as well.
3: And so to see that we, it's just interesting. I don't know what to make of it. It's just interesting to see how much work we did over the years with those sectors in particular. And now we're in these this uh, time where those sectors are, are really um
2: well, I you know and I'm, some, I'm coming coming to mind is um, there's a young man named Adrian Acosta yeah. and we met him right before the pandemic started and that was the first training we did for Los Angeles County Mental Health. And Adrian was he's he was just stood out during the training. He was he learned the crim skills and could teach them back so well. And the first time I talked to him during the pandemic he said, "Elena, I can't tell you how much he goes, I don't know what I would have done." If I wouldn't have learned the skills, because it was, and it was about, you know, his experiencing and sensing his body in a different way and realizing. He was feeling depressed. I'm, I'm, and he's talked about this in public, so I don't feel like I'm sharing protected right. information. And, um, and he said, but he knew what to do with those sensations, and that he knew how to cultivate his well-being, and that has made all the difference right. in the world. In fact, he's been working with us um, in many trainings, and he's a very outspoken. I could say a very big ambassador yeah. <laughs> of the community resiliency yeah. model skills. And this is a young man that grew up in, you know, in Watts in South Central Los Angeles. It was not. You know, um, and he was not a, he was accustomed to drive-by shootings. So many different things that impacted him as a, as a child, and that now he started a nonprofit. He's going to be on my show in January, and he's going to talk about that nonprofit he started. But I just think, oh my gosh, here's one person that I know how his life has been changed. He's cha- he's shared that with me, and now he's sharing it with so many others. And I, I get so proud of that kind of reflection. And I want you all to know that we train natural leaders of communities. People don't have to be therapists. We are both just happen to be therapists. Mm-hmm. But many of the people that are so good at sharing the wellness skills can be from so many different walks of lives, uh, lives. And I've been so proud of, you know, seeing that really around the world, including Haiti. And we just recently did, you know, a a, um, a refresher for some of the Haitians and, um, some of them are farmers, they're from different parts of Haiti, and of course, you know, they've, they've been through so much there with the, the recent earthquake as well as the political situation. And um, to see that there's a scalability, I think that's the reflection that I have. Yeah. Um, I didn't always know when we were starting how scalable, um, teaching wellness skills that were, like you said, accessible. I say affordable, right? Accessible, mm-hmm. affordable, tangible, Um and that people can put their own lens of their culture. And I mean... I don't adaptable. know. And, and, and adaptable. I mean, when yeah. I, I often think about the people in Nepal that were so excited trying to decide what to call what we call the resiliency zone, our zone of well being. And they were very lively and discussing it very um, yeah. animate in an animated way. And then they raised their hand and, sa- and decided on something and then wrote it in the front of the room in the beautiful uh, language of Nepali that is, looks like an art form in and of itself in terms of the writing of their language. Yeah. So, um, I mean, those are the reflections that I think about um, during this last year. But I also want to mention something. I have, um, I've followed the Centers for Disease Control. They have been a resource for me and trying to get the information. They have been for years for me, but I mean, during this pandemic, it's been particularly difficult. And we had the honor to do a workshop for one part of the CDC. And I, uh, you know, I just, it, it didn't, it hadn't occurred to me that when you devote your life to science and to cultivate, you know, the latest research and to and to really bring it to the United States and to the world, what happens when science is questioned um, in the ways that I think we've seen um, kind of this alternative universe of, of has not been, in my estimation, the truth about science and how that affects the people that are in it that really try to serve the public health of our world, of our country. And so, I have to say that was a big honor for, for, for me personally that someone from the CDC reached out to us. I don't know if you have a reflection on that because you and I did the training together and I know we felt so honored. Well, we did. And and, and again,
3: I think it, it emphasizes how important these skills can be because they reached out to us because they themselves were suffering, right? They as workers trying to help were suffering. And so, I, I guess that to me is the one of the many things I I really love about these skills is that it helps the helper as much as the helpee, for lack of a better way of saying it. And and when I when I have an organization like the CDC reach out to us um, because they themselves need help, wonderful, yeah. I love that because then then we can provide something that I know can be tangible, can be helpful, and I think that's uh, that's where I think. When I look at uh, people that are out in certain sectors trying to train others in the skills and share the skills, that's the piece is when someone practices the skills and notices what it feels like in their own nervous system and notices what it's like to come and have our nervous system come back into balance, they want to share it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, It almost
2: becomes like, oh, you have to taste this. It's really good. Yes. <laughs>
3: yeah. You, you, you have like a, a really is sweet, really, yes.
2: this soup is really good and you need to try yes. the soup too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's what people have said to us. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. And, you know, and I also want to also say something about children because we've learned so much from children too, that children can really, you know, um, they can learn the skills and learn how to talk about the skills. And we often say, um, uh, we talk about tears, and there can be sad tears, and there can be tears of gratitude. And my granddaughter who lives um, with me, um, she's five, and you know, she's heard some of this language. And the other day, she's talking to me. She goes, you know, Nana, you know, there's sad tears. And Nana, there's happy tears too. And I love that such a, a really sweet age that she's learning about the skills. Um, so I think that I want all of you to know that, you know, if your children are suffering, there's ways that you can also bring the the skill that Mike and I talked about on the 13th was resourcing. But with children, you can have them color what their favorite, um, you know, their favorite animal is, or you can have them um, act out, oh, let's play. What what is your fate, how does your favorite animal walk? There's different things that you can do with children that activate those kind of those brain cells that are about our well-being, and you can see them their little nervous system kind of spark and get back into balance again. So that there's so many different ways to come forward with the skills and even with little ones. But I also want to mention too that um, uh, I, I it's kind of a funny story, but on Thanksgiving. Um, I did a workshop for the University of Calgary. Now, I did not realize it was the American Thanksgiving, but they had asked me to do this. um, I'd offered to do this uh, workshop um, uh, with one of our crim teachers and uh, Evelina um, uh, and I didn't, and she goes, she gave me the date, but I didn't think it was, you know, it was November, it was far off in the distance. And then all of a sudden, the week before I go, oh my gosh, I'm going to be doing a workshop on Thanksgiving. I had to uh, get some um, <laughs> dispensation from my family. You're working on Thanksgiving? Oh no. But I have to tell you, it was such a lovely, lovely, lovely um, uh training and what they're doing at the University of Calgary, they are creating some wonderful systems for their disaster responders. And so it was very an honor to do that, and we're hoping that we might be able to um, they've reached out to us for a potential other project. So that's another thing that kind of came out of of this last year. I don't know if there's another one, Mike, that you want to mention. It's a project that oh, I know, Angola. Tell us a little bit about the project at Angola. That's because we wrote that, we we were they reached out to us I think in February of 2021. Yeah, we didn't know anything was going to happen with it. And we hear what was this about two months ago? They said we got funded by the United Nations. So yeah,
3: yeah, and and I think ultimately what it comes down to with this project is their hope for in Angola. Their hope is to empower uh, teenage girls, and ultimately the the behavioral outcome they're hoping for with this project is to reduce. Uh, unwanted pregnancies and hopefully encourage uh, better uh, reproductive health decisions and uh, and potentially decision sustain school because uh i, I wrote this down 37 percent of girls between 14 and i think 14 and 20 have their first pregnancy Seventy-five percent of girls start primary school. Only fifteen percent of those girls finish secondary school, according to some of their statistics. And so, they're hoping to provide uh, a project, and and this project is hopefully helping empower uh, teenage girls to make uh, to have options, to have choices, and to exercise choices. And so, uh, they brought us in to help teach, uh, to provide, to create fifty Krim teachers that then will also train and provide CREM workshops to create uh, what they're hoping for, 125, what they call social, um, Oh, what's the name that they came up with? Uh,
2: are they ambassadors, Influen- influencers. influencers, youth influencers, youth
3: mm-hmm. mobilizers? That's what it is, youth, youth mobilizers. mobilizers. Sorry about that. And those are going to be Krim guides. Well, they learn the skills, and then they then will go out into various communities and share the skills along with the fifty CRIM teachers. And so they're really they're trying to just provide this as a tool, Krim as a tool, to help uh, empower. And I think that's uh, th- th- and that's a word that I've often come to when I do these trainings is there's an empowerment. Of these, of these tools, these skills help empower people, help provide uh, options and choices where they may not see options and choices. Um, and I think that has been um, that project. I'm very excited about that's coming.
2: In, in right, and, and even though I've gone to Rome and I did a presentation for the Council of the United Nations, this is one of the first projects that's actually being funded through um, the country of Angola that's being funded by the United Nations, and we're a collaborator, a partner in this project. Yeah. So, I think we're pretty, we're very, very proud of that. But I also wanted to say, you know, sometimes it's just, it's like um, a person may come to us that is from an organization or um, or. I guess I will say there is a person who heard about us from the Navajo Nation and I especially have great fondness for the Navajo Nation all the uh, we have many indigenous tribes within the Americas um, but I have I was so lucky to be exposed to um, the Canyon de Che which is a very holy place for the Navajos and we just trained 12 individuals from the Navajo Nation and they their plan is to bring um the skills to the entire Navajo Nation. So, they have 12 community resiliency model teachers and this is where the scalability comes in because one teacher can teach many. And this is that old adage that instead of teaching, instead of giving someone fish, you teach people how to fish Mm -hmm. and then they um, expand it out into their community. And what was shared with us was our skills and the way that it's so organic, our skills is that very much aligns with with some of their spiritual practices. So, we we were very happy to see that it could be integrated in a way um, that is something that is already known to them. And that's kind of like the reading the nervous system. That is a key part of what we do. But, you know, Mike, I did also want to pause to see if there's any more because I want to teach a couple skills before we leave today. So we've been talking about skills and going, well, okay, let's talk, us talk, let's hear about some of them. At least maybe we can give them a couple more today. Sure. All right. Are you ready for that? Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to just, share my screen here, and we're going to take a look at some of these skills. And I think that the skill that we want to talk about, this could be especially helpful um, as people are coming into the, into the new year. And that is what we call, um, I guess, the help now strategies. And this is a skill to use if you're really way out of, you know, like, so upset and angry that we call it the high zone and maybe you'll, you know, when you feel like you want to say things that probably are not the best to say to other people or you're so disconnected and depressed and they're pretty simple. So, Mike and I are just going to read through them pretty quickly. And so, this gives you an idea. So, the first one, have a drink of water or juice or tea. Just go into your kitchen, take a drink and notice, not a drink, I'm talking about water, (laughs) juice or tea, and just even notice that it going down your throat and what that feels like. That sometimes will give you that little pause. <sighs> sometimes a deep breath comes in and 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 you can feel just a little bit better. So, Mike, what else can they do?
3: Or maybe touching a surface just to see the the sensory experience of that surface. Is it hard? Is it soft? Is it rough? Is it you know? And it could be, you know, sometimes we have our wonderful furry little pets that that can be a surface that we touch and notice the the, the texture.
2: Yes, and and I had this is one of the ones I use a lot actually. Yeah. Putting my hand on a table if I'm getting upset, and I I practice it so much my breath comes in and then all of a sudden I'm calmer, and I can speak now from a more reasonable part of myself. And the other thing that I can do very simply, and people don't even know I'm doing it, if I'm getting upset, I can just look around the room, and pay attention to anything that catches my attention. It might be something on the wall. It might be. Um, a color. It could be all different kinds of things. Um, For any one of us, we could even be outside and we're noticing a tree or we're noticing a flower. And all of a sudden, that attention going to something else besides the distress can actually help me come back into my zone of well-being. And then I can be more communicative about what may have been bothering me.
3: Or maybe even just looking around and naming six colors that we see right now. Similar to looking around the room, looking around the space that you're in, or even if you're outside. I mean, this is the beauty of it is you can look wherever you are and just name six colors. And see again, seeing what you
2: notice as you name those six and colors. And this is one that I hear people use, especially with kids. Oh, well, what, what oh, yeah. are the colors in the room right now? Oh, look, there's pink. Can you see pink? What about yellow? And all of a sudden... The child gets more into their zone.
3: Or maybe a variation, right? Of what things in this room can you find that are red? What are the things that you can find that are yellow? You know, there's all sorts of variations.
2: You know, now that I, I'm thinking about this, when I was a kid, we used to do this. We didn't know it was a help now strategy, but we would be in the car. And I'm oh. sure we were driving my parents crazy and they'd go, okay, let's find all the yes. Volkswagens on yes. in the road. And we'd have to say the word dibbit, 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 dibbit. And that's what we were doing. We were, we were focusing our attention right. away from try, pushing each other and being, you know, how kids are in the backseat of a car, right, right on a long trip. Yeah. And, that, and this next one, too, Mike, is just counting backwards from 20. That focus of attention, 20, 19, 18, just going back downwards. And again, you're focusing something that's going to actually affect your nervous system. And how about this one, Mike, the next or, one?
3: Or paying attention to the temperature in the space that you're in. Again, is it cool? Is it warm? Is it hot? Is it cold?
2: And also we can, what about the sounds in the room or outside? Like I can hear, oh, it's raining a little bit. So I can, I can, I can hear soft rain outside the room and all of a sudden you can feel just a little bit better. This or is, even, this is or a I good just, one.
3: Yes, this is a good one because, it, oh yeah, just getting up and maybe walking around the room or walking around the space that you're in or if you're outside and just noticing our feet making contact with the ground. And, you know, I, I like to combine this one, to be honest, I'll get up on a walk, I'll pay attention to the feet as I, as I walk and I feel my feet on the ground. But then I also notice some sounds, I start to notice the temperature, I may even look around and see what, what things I, I can pay attention to in the space I'm in. So it's, it's fun for me, what I love about these skills is you can, you can mix and match and combine. Uh, but even just paying attention to every step and feeling the, the, the ground beneath my feet can be really, really stabilizing.
2: Well, the same thing is that, um, you know, using the large muscles of our arms and legs. I um, actually talked about this last week when I had Jen Burton on the show, but that can also be something that's very helpful. To call it a Help Now strategy. And, you know, pushing, you know, with all your might against a wall, you know, just a kind of a slow push, but pushing it and really feeling your muscles. And that also can help regulate the nervous system. Yeah. And so those are like 10 Help Now strategies. We probably could think of more, but there's also another skill that, Many people may have heard about, but it's just called grounding. And it's just as you're sitting wherever you are, maybe you're in your car, maybe you're at home laying down, is it's grounding just means a direct contact of the body with a surface. So, what we've learned is that gravitational security is foundational to be in, uh, to feel better in mind, body, and spirit. And we can actually feel safer inside of ourselves. When we can ground, and some of us who've had a lot of trauma, we can kind of feel like we're floaty all the time. Sometimes people have said to me, you know, I never feel my feet on the ground when I'm sitting down. So, you might even want to put something heavy on your lap that might help you, and that can be um, another helpful way to ground. But when you're grounded in the present moment, you're not thinking about the past or the future. You're just right here with us right now. And Mike, can we ground in different positions?
3: Very different positions, laying, walking, like we already talked about, standing against a wall, floating in water. Thank you for those of you who we trained in the Philippines for pointing that out. <laughs> yes. uh, sitting on a chair, sofa, or ground. Yeah.
2: And so, um, so what's important then is just, I'm just going to ask you for just a moment for our listeners to just notice where they are. And just for a few moments to just bring your attention to what part of your body is making contact with the surface. So just kind of bring your attention to that. And then I'm going to invite you to notice as you pay attention to that is what do you notice on the inside about your breathing, your heart rate, your muscle tension or relaxation? Just see what happens inside your body. And for some of you, as you quiet your nervous system, sometimes you can feel a little bit of pain or discomfort if that's your experience try to draw your attention to someplace inside that feels a little better. Sometimes it's even drawing your attention to a place that feels neutral, where you're not feeling any sensation. I know sometimes I go to my nose or my ears if I'm feeling like distress in my belly or someplace else. But just notice the the shift inside when you bring your attention to someplace inside that feels better. And then just continue to notice what's happening inside. And I'm also gonna invite you to notice your feet and how your feet may be um, coming, making contact to the ground. All right. So just take a moment more and just notice the changes have happened since we started. And that's grounding. So Mike, anything you'd like to say about grounding? No,
3: I know we're coming to the end here.
2: Yeah, let's see how we're doing. Oh my goodness, have. yes, we are. So we are going to obviously count. we we taught you two, two, two skills today. So that is shifting. Well, that is um, grounding, and grounding and help now. We have two more that we'll we'll share with you on another show called gesturing and shift and stay. But if you want to get a head start, you can go to the iChill app where you can um, you can practice them. So Mike, was there anything more you'd like to say today as we're coming to a close about the last year or anything about what we do in the world?
3: Absolutely. I will say this. I think coming into the end of the year, I think into this type of season, oftentimes there are traditions that we have. Oftentimes there are practices that we may have at the end of the year, um, depending on a number of factors. And I wanted to share that one thing that... um, I find that so important because I see that as connected to resourcing. And when we do things like those practices and those traditions, whether as a family, I was thinking about what you were saying about how we can share these skills with children. I think that's what some of these traditions do automatically when we when we have certain holiday traditions or certain family traditions or certain religious practices, uh, sacred practices. Um, these are things that that are resourcing for us, can be resourcing for us. And so I just wanted to share that, um, our neighbor had brought over an ornament and said, "You know, Don always does this every year. Buys this type of ornament. So we bought one for you and your family, and we're gonna uh, just to say thank you for the help that you you provided." And I thought, "Oh, I get my. to have that as a resource now, yes. and then consider their tradition as a resource. Now I get to share it,
2: and and a tradition of remembering your friend. Absolutely, yes." So, Mike, thank you. That's, that's you know we always end the show with this question, what else is true? Yeah. So, with all the suffering, you're going to look at that ornament right. and think of all the goodness and Absolutely. the humor in Dawn.
3: Absolutely.
2: So, as people are entering the new year, um, we wish you the very best. Um, thank you so much for having us come into your homes, into your cars, into your businesses over the last year. And we thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. And we wish you goodwill and joy and happiness as you end this year. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karis, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon.